0: Welcome to ECE Honestly. Hi, and welcome to ECE Honestly. Here we discuss the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge with gratitude that I am speaking to you from the unceded and traditional territory of the Coast Salish peoples, here including the Kwikwitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Stolo peoples. On today's episode, I am joined by Kelsey Barkfed. Uh, Did I say that right? You did, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, So Kelsey, Kelsey has agreed to come on here and share her personal experience with something that I think not many educators in the field are aware of um, and how it has affected her working in the field of early childhood education. So, Kelsey, would you like to do the honor of introducing yourself and telling us the subject you'll be advocating for on this episode?
1: So, like you said, my name is Kelsey. I'm an ECE. I'm on the unceded and traditional territory of the Slimshin people. Um, so, I've been working in the field for five years ish. We'll go with ish. And I have ADHD along with like a multitude of other things, but the main focus would be ADHD. And I was only diagnosed in my early 20s and only when I got to college. Um, so I spent K to 12 thinking that I was not the smartest person in the room to put it nicely. And when I did finally get tested in college, the person testing me asked how in the world I graduated high school. Um... it it definitely was in grade two and I'm 30 now that I started to notice the difference between me and my peers. Um, and I didn't know essentially what was happening in my brain, but I just always felt different. And it's only in the last three years that I've begun to understand that my brain is way different than anyone else's. And I've stopped masking a lot of those behaviors. And I do have to thank the pandemic for that. Um, because I didn't realize how exhausting it was to try to be like everyone else, and it, it it was it was hard trying to be just like my coworkers and to have everything put together and to appear like I was functioning. Um, and then if you throw in some chronic illness and some mental health issues, um, I'm I guess essentially even though. My basis is ADHD. I'm chronicing. I'm chronicing. I'm advocating for accommodations. At the end of the day, um, and I guess now that I've accepted the fact that I can't mask and I have to accept my brain for what it is, I've recognized that you know I'm not the only one out there. And there's way more of us, not just ADHD, not with developmental um, differences, not just chronic illness, but there's a plethora of us out there that need accommodations and need to stop feeling so horrible for it. But let's just focus mainly, I guess, on ADHD <laughs> and how, um, how challenging it is to get a team to understand that you really are just trying your best. I guess, best way to put it.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much um, coming on first of all, and, you know, coming on to share your experience, because I think to have you come on and give listeners, um, and I think more importantly, educators, your experience as both a neurodivergent neurodivergent person and educator is like extremely valuable and like ridiculously necessary. Um, moreover, I hope that those who identify as neurotypical learn something new from our chat today. Me too. Um, so first I think I'd like to start off by asking what I think is probably a significant question. Um, as a child, you mentioned that you noticed that your brain didn't function like your peers did. Did you ever approach, um, your family or your parents or like make it be known how you were feeling? Um,
1: so I'm the I'm the youngest of 6 in a blended family. Oh wow. And yeah, there's there's a few of us. Um and uh my older sister, one of my older sisters, the one right above me, um she was going through school and um very spunky to put it mildly. Um had a, a will of her own, wanted to do what she wanted to do and um the focus was on her for a bit and the teachers wanted to put her, this was still when they were segregating classes. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, They wanted to put her in special ed. Mm. And um, one teacher said that they need to break her spirit. Oh yeah.
0: Um, Okay.
1: Um, Yeah. Continue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So knowing that, And then also my family has a history of just like a lot of neurodivergence. Um, My uncle, who I never met, um, he would have probably been diagnosed with autism Mm -hmm. and I never met him um, because he was taken to Riverview um, or sorry, not Riverview, but Woodlands school. Oh, uh, when he. Yeah. When my dad was maybe six or seven. Um, and because his father, my, my grandfather, again, a person I never met, um, he didn't speak English. So my dad had to do all of the signing in and out of his older brother. Right. Um, and let's face it, it was not a good place to be.
0: No, they had
1: their own graveyards. And, um, I think my dad was definitely traumatized with the idea of if you're anything, but neurotypical. I think he was really scared that, you know, we were going to get taken away um, or something was going to happen and his children weren't going to have that childhood that he got to have or that his (laughs) older brother got to have. Um, And granted, that was happening in the 40s and the 50s. Yeah. But I think that's a lot of trauma to take on as a child. Absolutely. Um... So the long, long story short would be my parents knew that I couldn't keep up. Mm -hmm. I had no problem socializing. But I remember having to spend recesses catching up with math and other things in different classes. And they knew that something was going on. And they did try to get a diagnosis. But the best that I was able to get was they said I was dyslexic um, because the issues I had with math and reading.
0: Right. I think that dyslexia was something that was kind of like the go-to diagnosis. Yes. I think it would be wrong of me to, um, to, to say that.
1: No. And especially because ADHD was still so, so much just a boys thing. Yes. Like girls couldn't be like, they couldn't have ADHD. No way. Like that could not happen. Um, so I just totally trusted my parents when I would get tested for these things. Um, and they would come back and be like, no, she's just dyslexic because I blended in really well with my social group. I made friends easily and I was able to keep friends easily, but that's because I mirrored their behaviors a hundred percent. And I knew how to fit in. I knew how to not get in trouble. And the most trouble that I would get into at school is that I was too chatty, Mm.
0: Which um, I think and, is
1: like something that lots of young girls got on yes. their report cards. Just like really chatty and um what was it it would be really chatty and something about being distractible but like I mean 1 plus 1 is 2 at this point. So for sure. Yeah, so they they did their best. They thought they did what was necessary, mm-hmm. but I think that they had a lot of fear that like if you got anything more than you know dyslexia or anything like gentle and I say that knowing that being dyslexic can like really wreak havoc on how you can learn and understand things but they were definitely scared that anything more would lead to being pulled from mainstream classes and then being considered um putting in like in the nineties when it was special ed and you were taken away from that.
0: Yes. It was very segregated.
1: Oh my God. yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, well, first off, I would like to say that I am very sorry to hear of the tragic history in your family. Um, if any listeners are not familiar with woodlands, um, I highly encourage you to, uh, look it up, uh, big disclaimer it's a very tragic uh it's a very tragic history uh yeah in new westminster if i'm not mistaken and they didn't close down until the 90s if i'm not mistaken
1: they didn't close down to the 90s and now there's a townhouse development over top of it
0: because i remember they tore it down and that was a big that was big a lot of survivors um went and uh went in and uh, observed that Yeah, And it was a very emotional, uh, Mm -hmm. very emotional event.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I think just another disclaimer to to add to that is if you see someone around like the old Riverside, I think is what it, it is now called. And like some of the things that have been left behind. If you see people going and taking photos and talking about how creepy it is and like kind of getting thrill off of being in that old space maybe educate them on the fact that so many people lost their lives there and so many people were abused and it's it's not just just give it the space don't don't enjoy it for what it is just it's still too soon for that give us some room
0: absolutely and I really think that's important that you Mm -hmm. put 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 that out there (laughs) um Cause yeah, I mean it is extremely tragic. Yeah, and it's just too soon.
1: And like Hollywood already uses it, so mm-hmm. just, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm pretty sure. Um, what is it, Riverdale? Mm-hmm. I think they they've used it before, and a couple other places have used it. And they're like, "Wow, this is creepy," and you're like, "No way, really? Yeah, oh, that's I wild. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> holy shit. Only oh, sorry. <laughs> that's okay." <laughs> only some, you know, only some tragic things that happen here. Yeah. jeez, It's ridiculous. It is. Um, anyways. So, uh, I want to come back to, to something that you said. So, uh, from my understanding, you didn't get diagnosed until adulthood. <laughs> Was there an event in your life or something that really made you say, it's time that I receive an answer to the question I've always wondered.
1: No, actually, it's probably the most boring way to ever get um, a proper diagnosis. But hey, it led to to something fantastic. (laughs) It did. Let's face it. It did. I went to college. I went to Okanagan College. And um, I was registering and I was like, oh, yeah, because I've been trained to say I have to get accommodations. Right. What my accommodations were for, for being dyslexic, were literally nothing. But it was mainly just to keep, you know, your teachers aware that, like, just expect a little less from me or like leave me alone and then come talk to me.
0: Um, so She like, would kind of wonder, cause if you're doing early childhood education, shouldn't, you know, shouldn't those educators be understanding that. And, and I mean, I think we'll probably get into this, but I mean, we talk so much about children needing to have the accommodations for children, but do we not understand that those children grow into adults?
1: Thank you. Right.
0: We don't grow out of ADHD. We
1: don't grow out of being dyslexic. We definitely don't like they don't grow out of being autistic. But I, I went and I was like, this was before I found the field of ECE. And I was like, I'm going to be a teacher in like high school and it's going to be great. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm dyslexic. And they're like, okay, well, do you have proof? And I was like, no. Why would I have proof? They've just been telling me I'm dyslexic where you had
0: to carry a card.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, So they're like, okay, well, we'll try and get you some testing and then um, then we can see what your accommodations are for. And I really have to appreciate Oakland College, the Vernon campus in B.C., because holy moly, I was not expecting to get like proper testing done at the age of I think I was 18 or 19, somewhere between 18 to 20. I definitely was. And I sat down for like eight hours of testing and I had to go through so many different things of how to spell, like really what you would do to any child, like from the age of five to 10. Mm -hmm. And they made me write down a paragraph to explain something. And I can't even remember what I had to explain, but it was pretty quick after writing that paragraph that they were like, you are not dyslexic in the slightest. And I was like, what? Yeah. "Yeah, You have like really bad ADHD. And I was like, I do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. And then they're like, yeah. How did you graduate without any help? And I was like, hoping a prayer really. Uh, My parents would go and talk to teachers and be like, just take it easy on Kelsey. And they'd be like, neat. We got you. Um, but uh, they were just like, yeah, no, you have ADHD. And then they came up with a list of accommodations and I was like, I don't need those. Holy moly. <laughs> did you ever need those? <laughs> did because then they're like, we'll just use them anyways. And when I used them, oh my goodness, it was incredible how my, view on education changed completely Mm -hmm. um I was allowed to test in a separate room so I wasn't distracted I was allowed more time um I was allowed to use computers to write because like I would stop skipping my words when I was writing right um and a bunch of other things like I got help with um tutoring a list of things and I was just like this is what I've been missing I had to spend K to 12 missing this. I can yeah. only imagine how further along I would have been had I have actually gotten the proper diagnosis when I needed it. But oh my God, I needed that diagnosis.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I can only imagine that your initial feeling was like, you know, a big sense of relief or confirmation of something you maybe already suspected or just like, I want to say even just joy because now you're like, okay, now I have what I need in order to be successful.
1: Yeah. And I remember driving home and there was a rainbow and side note, I hate rainbows. Just something about them make me really mad. But I remember seeing a rainbow and I was like, I feel like that means something. And as I was driving, I started crying Aww. and I was like, I, I didn't really put together just having someone say like, how did you manage to graduate high school? without help, someone validating the fact that I was having a hard time and seeing that I was just like, I feel like it's starting new. It feels like I was able to actually go into my college experience, even though it took forever to figure out what I wanted to do. I was finally able to go into college with people understanding where I was at. Mm -hmm. And it honestly was a big sense of relief. I didn't do much with it until like, you know, really three years ago when I started to really understand the impacts of ADHD. Right. But in, in an educational setting, I was finally able to advocate for myself. Right. And that was amazing. You had
0: power. You felt in control. You felt in charge.
1: Yes. A hundred percent. It wasn't just like, this is a thing I have. I have no tools. It was like, here's the thing you have your brain is developed completely different and that's okay. And also here are like all the different things that you can use to support yourself. And it wasn't really like, I advocated for what I needed when I finally found the ECE program again through Okanagan college. Um, and I advocated what I needed education wise, but it wasn't, I didn't realize the effect that it would have, in a working field. Right. And that's probably the biggest hiccup I've met so far.
0: Mm-hmm. <sighs> Sorry. I just... No, that's okay. And I think that's something that we should definitely get into. Um, but before I talk about that, I want to ask you, what was your family's reaction when you told them? Like, I'm just curious if, if you're okay sharing that. Oh
1: yeah, no, totally. They were kind of just like, oh, that makes sense that, you know, they were like able to kind of put together all the things that they witnessed and kind of go, yeah, oh, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't too long after me that my older sister, um, the one who the teacher said they need to break her spirit, um, she was able to get a diagnosis of ADHD. Okay. Um, and then she was able to actually go on and talk to someone about a uh, diagnosis of being autistic.
0: Oh, okay. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. So it... It definitely spurred more in my family to kind of to, to look in on themselves, I think, and be like, okay, well, <laughs> if my kids have it, my mom was able to kind of look and be like, wow, I wonder, because she was also told that she was dyslexic. Oh, I see. But yeah, wow. it, it, they definitely were able to put one and, or two, one all together, they were old, like two, and there was like, yeah, that makes sense. But no one. I should. I should say that I didn't get medication.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, my sister, a couple years ago, she got medication, and I was always like a little jealous. I was like, oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> I wonder what that would feel like. So I'm still not medicated as someone with ADHD, but I have to say, like, you know, I really do wonder if I had gotten the diagnosis when I was a kid. And if my parents had said yes to medication, you can't help but wonder where I would have been.
0: Definitely. It's always the, the, what if. Oh,
1: and they'll, it'll keep me up. It'll be like, I just, I can't help but think totally what would, would I have been more successful? Would I have more self-esteem because it did it ate away at all my self-esteem. Of course um, I spent K to 12 thinking I was dumb and like, just, really just thinking horrible things about myself. And so when I come across children in my care that do, or maybe kind of show those things that I did have to deal with, I can't help but think like, are you going to get that diagnosis like I am and wish that someone had advocated for you? Totally. And I know this is going like completely different direction of where we were in the first place, but welcome to my brain. Um, But it just, You can't help but wonder, and everyone always says, I don't want to medicate. And like I would totally understand, I wouldn't want my child to be on medication. But when you're in this body and when you're with this brain and everyone else is functioning at a hundred and you are just somewhere else at 70, 50, or whatever percentage, you can't help but feel like, man, if only I had a chance.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: And like I get the medication point of like, no one wants to have children on medication, but I cannot express loudly enough and without my, like with my whole heart of give it a chance. Mm -hmm. Just, you can always take a child off medication, but just see what it would be like. We wouldn't withhold diabetes, like medication. Like we wouldn't withhold insulin. We wouldn't withhold other things to make parts of our body, different organs functioning and working we wouldn't do that. That would be, you know, kind of quite cruel. Mm -hmm. Um, so why would you withhold that from your brain when really a hundred percent, it is just a lack of chemicals in your brain. And like, essentially your brain is smaller than others for where you're developing. And it's just, I, i I mean, I'm speaking quite quiet, speaking quite low, but that's just because like, I'm not frantic. I'm not trying to like, just get my point across in the most intense way. It's just give, give children a chance. They will tell you if it's working, but just give them the chance to, to feel like they can also accomplish what other children can, if that makes sense.
0: I think that's absolutely that definitely makes sense and I think especially coming from somebody who is neurodivergent. Yeah, I think that's I mean it's 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 a valid point and it's and it's important because there is so much stigma around medication and mm-hmm. And I mean, I I can understand that. And I think a lot of that stigma, just kind of looking back historically, um, you know, when things like Ritalin was introduced, it was, it was very much used as the, and you know, I apologize for being so blunt, but it was very much used as the sit down and shut up.
1: Right. A hundred percent.
0: But there's
1: so many different kinds now where it's not just like Here's some Ritalin, essentially, like you said, like sit down, shut up, get your work done. It's now like, okay, here's a stimulant. Here's a non-stimulant. This is like, it releases every six hours or it doesn't. And like, there's a huge variety of medications now. And I think that's not what's being said is that it's not just here's some Adderall or here's some Ritalin. There is so many things in between. And when you're working with your doctor or your psychiatrist or whoever is working with your child, they're going to find what works best so that you're not just like sitting there zoning, like zoning in and not able to do anything else. Mm -hmm. You're still able to have your personality and you're still able to be you and you're still able to do all those great things. You're just finally able to have your brain and, and your executive function and all those other things that come with it, your impulse control. You're finally able to be at a level where your classmates are Mm -hmm. and I mean, no Still one wants to be like... your fantastic self. Exactly. And like, it takes a while to figure it out, but definitely, it, it's like, you know, taking medication for depression or anxiety, like you will find a medication that does work for your body and for your chemical makeup. Mm-hmm. And it sucks when you have to try and figure out what medication does work and you have to go through those side effects and all those things. But like, I am planning on trying out medication. And talking to my own doctor about it because I'm done feeling like I can't do anything compared to my colleagues or my coworkers. And I think that leads us into the question that you did want to ask of, you know, what's, a com- what's it like essentially being an ECE that has ADHD or is neurodivergent? I yeah. think that's kind of where we were.
0: Slowly waddling over too. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. Cause I, and I mean, we touched on this a little bit earlier talking about how, you know, especially in the field of education, we're so great at accommodating everything for children with neurodiversities or, you know, physical diversities, yeah. but it's interesting to see how it's almost like we expect adults to be. And I mean, this is the worst way to put it, but the only way that I can kind of get the point across to act quote normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? hundred percent. So yeah, no, I have been curious, like as a neurodivergent educator, you know, what challenges do you face when you're working with children? Because again, you know, like- in so many aspects of ECE, we we don't tend to consider the educators. And I mean, you know, we can talk about this in terms of like the pandemic and take care of the children, take care of the children, but nobody's taking care of us and everybody's burnt out, but you still have to show up. Yeah. But I mean, I can only imagine how much harder that is now with a neurodiversity and not getting those accommodations that you require. So yeah, yeah I, would, I would love to hear what your experience is um, on that. yeah it's it's
1: the I mean I work I deal with you know feelings through humor and laughter and and all that kind of stuff but oh my goodness it's a hot mess that's just putting it nicely and like I'm not gonna you know take away from my own experience and say I just have ADHD but like even if I don't know what I'm trying to say like like there's other people that have other kind of neuro neurodivergence and, and other things that they have to deal with and other, like, um, other kind of disabilities. Cause that's kind of what it is. And like, people are always like, don't say it's a disability, but it is, yeah. I am less able than other people. Like, it's just how it is. And it's just how my brain is. But I've always said from the beginning when I, when I do have a job, I'm like, I have ADHD along with anxiety and depression. And let's say like a bunch of other things that we just don't have the time to get into today. Right. But, <laughs> but I always say like, yeah, I have ADHD and it it really wasn't until we had to close for uh, my daycare. We closed for f- about four months Holy and uh, yeah, because we just, we didn't know what, I mean, like no one knew right. what was happening and it always felt like covid was right behind you when in reality for a lot of cities it wasn't even in your city yet but we closed because no one knew what was going to happen um and in those maybe like i think it was four months um i didn't have to wake up and pretend Mm -hmm. i didn't have to wake up and be like okay put on your normal face and you're gonna go be a functioning adult and then you're gonna come home and be really confused about everything and then just go to bed and repeat Right. And I was pushing through a lot of things like a lot of educators were. We were showing up sick. We were showing up burnt out. We were showing up just done, but you still showed up because you had to push through. Like I showed up with a broken foot. Oh my God. Like a walking. (laughs) Yeah. I was in like an air cast and I didn't want to disappoint. I didn't want to let anyone down. And in reality, I needed to spend time off. You know, I needed to put my foot up, literally put my feet up and like rest and heal my stress fracture. But I didn't because I didn't want to be a disappointment and I, I didn't want to, I didn't want the kids to be left without me. And I didn't want, I wanted to be that like all-star worker that just pushed through everything because it's for the kids.
0: And I've said this a couple of times, but depending on where you work, it can very much be like an abusive relationship. You, it is you are emotionally manipulated into thinking that you have to show up regardless
1: 100% and like even to the extent where i also my parents gave me beautiful genetics um
0: i also, <laughs> okay, <did> also too. <laughs> yeah, um
1: you know they they gave me some really intense allergies to things that aren't i mean that are still considered by Western medical science to not actually be a thing. Right. But I am anaphylactic to perfumes and colognes okay. um, and a, a bunch of other stuff and like cleaners and stuff like that. So I came to my my employer and I was like, yeah, so these are my things. And I was like, yeah, we'll hire you anyway. So I was essentially before the pandemic, you know, showing up with my ADHD brain, my anxiety and my depression, and also super intense, weird allergies, mm-hmm. um, in which I had to have four different epi pens. Holy um at like either it'd be like a delayed reaction, but twice I had to be taken away via ambulance at my daycare, which is in a school with like an elementary school. And one, the worst one was at lunchtime. And it was just like soul crush embarrassing. Um that's (laughs) we'll save that for like, you know, another day. Yeah. Um, But so you come, you come, you come to ECE, you come to this, this field where you're supposed to be so understanding, like you said, and you're supposed to know these things and you're supposed to work with children that, that have so many different kinds of unique qualities to them, but I'm expected to shelve my ADHD. Right. And it's one thing when you hire someone with ADHD or autism and you're just like, cool, this person's got ADHD another when we start showing our ADHD right like it's and it was after that pandemic piece where I didn't have to pretend I didn't have to mask and that's I mean I my employer might hear it but like that's when I started becoming an issue because I stopped hiding so many of the behaviors that are challenging Mm -hmm. for an employer and I You know, I have a hard time completing tasks. I can come up with amazing, fantastic ideas that I know the children will love, but I'll stop halfway through because my dopamine has gone. Like I've, I started it, but now I'm like not interested in it. And I follow the dopamine, which is essentially, you know, what most ADHD people do. Yeah. 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 Like we, you can get me to do the dishes and I'll do them. But if you want me to do something like absolutely amazing and like to the T, You let me kind of follow that dopamine trail and I will get it done because it's something that is so important to me that I will spend hours hyper-focused getting it done. But other things like, you know, cleaning and bleaching the toys, I mean, I know it has to get done. I'll do it, but it won't be to the extent that anyone else kind of can do it because I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy it. So my brain's like, yeah, do it but it's not like do it and make sure it's perfect. Right. It's just like, you got to get it done and then you can get back to the things you love. So and there's, you know,
0: that aspect of it. And I can imagine that that's difficult as well because you also don't want to be branded as the lazy educator or the one who <laughs> doesn't want to do things, which I imagine is, you know, is a challenge that, that will come up as well.
1: Yeah. And you, it, you know, the thing is, is that now it's gotten to the point where it's like, There's a lot of people will get to that point when they've asked for the accommodations, when they've asked for the support. Now they're viewed as someone who has an excuse for everything. Right. And it's not that I have an excuse for everything. It's just that that's how my brain works. And I refuse. I mean, I say it now. I'm still trying to believe it. I refuse to feel bad for the way that my brain is. Mm -hmm. I have spent years talking horribly to myself because I can't be like anyone else. I can't fit in. I can't do the things that everyone else can do. And I'm done feeling in like, I'm done feeling insecure about the way that my brain was formed. It's a bunch of wrinkles inside of my head. I can't control it. It's the way that it was made and I have to accept it. And it's going to be frustrating as all get out for people Mm -hmm. but just remember what it's like. Put yourself in my shoes. I want to be functioning. I want to be at that level where I see people doing things and not being exhausted. I want to, I want to be there. I want to, you know, interact with adults and not question everything I said and wondering if I sounded Good enough, if I sound smart enough, if I came across intelligent, because a lot of us are so scared of coming across dumb, because that's all we felt for years, depending on when you got your diagnosis. And spending that K to 12, those formative years, believing wholeheartedly that I am just dumb to my core. It takes a lot to undo that. And so, you know, two years out of pandemic, And I'm still kind of being labeled as having excuses for everything. It's not that I have an excuse for everything. It's just I've accepted where I'm at. And I'm not pushing myself to be someone else anymore. And I refuse to be someone else anymore. And I know that there's some things I could probably do better. Or there's some things that, you know, I have to accept and just do throughout the day. Mm -hmm. But... We meet children where they're at, we meet families where they're at, and do you think that there is not the neurodivergent educators out there is doing a disservice to yourself and to them, because we're awesome, we're, we're great, we're, we're a bit unorganized, we will do what we want to do, and we're quite sensitive. But we're amazing at our jobs and we know what it feels like to be the, we know what it feels like to be the kid that no one likes or the kid that the teachers don't like because you don't follow and you don't listen to them. So we're important. We are so important to have. We're a pain in the ass to manage, but just I I don't know how else to put it is just meet us where we're at, just the way we meet the kids.
0: Definitely. (sighs) And I think that's fantastic that you can come on here and again, not only speak to your experience and, but just advocate for those educators who maybe don't have that confidence to be able to come out and, you know, tell their employers or just, or even tell their coworkers, like, Hey, this is where I'm at. Yeah. I, I just need you to understand that. And, and exactly like you said, I need you to meet me at where I am because yeah. it's like exactly like you said, we're so fantastic at creating this culture where we're going to do that for children, but we fail to realize that we also need to do that for the adults in the room and exactly. the adults for the children.
1: Exactly. And I, not to interrupt you, but just like your neurodivergent employees know when they're failing. Mm -hmm. And, and I say that in the sense of like, we know where the bar is and we know when we're not meeting it. And we are incredibly hard on ourselves. Like I, I know I'm saying we, but I can speak for myself and a few others when we aren't hitting that bar, we are so hard on ourselves because we know we need to be doing quote better but we can't, and there's nothing we can do about it. And so, belittling us or 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 getting mad at us because we can't do it—just know the words that the words that a neurotypical management or coworkers say—we're already telling ourselves tenfold. We've already told ourselves all those things of frustration and anger, um, and we're already feeling it so intensely but we would never say those things to other people because we know what it's like to be down. And we know what it's like when people just don't understand and think that everything you do or say is an excuse for not doing it Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because we're not lazy. We just lack the dopamine.
0: Amazing. Um... Again, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and thank you for this experience because it's so important and it's so necessary because exactly like you said, like we we don't know and we're we're not aware of how it is that our words, our actions, as you know, neurotypical educators may be not frustrating, but even just unknowingly putting down another educator. And if we're truly creating a community of inclusion, that has to be for everybody, adults, child, family, everybody in that community. Yeah,
1: a hundred percent. And I really appreciate the chance to be able to, to talk about it. And like, I'm sure we could
0: go on forever,
1: but I just, there's so many of us in the woodwork. I think that's the saying. I don't really know pretty sure. I tend to blend my sayings together, but there's so many of us. And I just hope that someone else hears this and goes, oh, screw the mask. I'm going to be just be myself because I'm freaking great. And when the kids also, I do let the kids know that I have ADHD and that they're, they're most of the time they're like, whatever. But those that have it know that if they come to me with those problems, especially the school age children, I'm going to have, I'm going to listen to them. I have their back. And I know that they're just doing like adults, like everyone else. Everyone is just doing the best they can. And if they could be doing better, they would.
0: Definitely. So, I mean, what a fantastic role model you are for those children to, you know what I mean? Do you be able, I mean, it's true though, because having that person that you can come up to and be like, Hey, you know, I know that you having the same challenges that I'm facing especially an adult who can listen to you I think that's so powerful so impactful and you are that person that could potentially be making a difference in that little person's life and letting them know like hey buddy I know what you're feeling like I'm here for you and I think that's fantastic thanks
1: Yeah, everyone just needs
0: to do their best
1: and accept that everyone else is. And I really appreciate what you said. And I I hear your words. I have a hard time accepting them, but
0: I hear them. (laughs) Well, I will say them to you over and over and over again until they are (laughs) embedded in your beautiful heart. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, again, thank you so much, Kelsey. Um, And again, I really hope that for any educator out there who uh, identifies as neurotypical, I really hope that they've learned something new, um, and not just learning something new, but I hope that there is some self-reflection that, Mm -hmm. uh, that happens because goodness knows that quality educators are always self-reflecting and, you know, let's continue that trend, right? Yeah, exactly. Before I sign off, I would like to say that our conversation did lead me to remembering that if you are in the Greater Vancouver area, the Port Moody Heritage Society, or better known as the Port Moody Station Museum, has a really fantastic um, exhibit right now. And it's called Inclusion The Journey to Community. And it's in cooperation with the Community Venture Society, Inclusion BC, as well as BC Self Advocacy Foundation. So this exhibit, um, I was very fortunate to go see it with my husband, we stumbled across, across it randomly one day when we were walking around Rocky Point. Um, but the exhibition, I believe it's on until June of 2022. So June of this year. And I'm just reading off of what's on their website. It says the exhibition features pieces of the history of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and their long path from institution to living in the community. So it's a really fantastic exhibition. Um, Like I said, my husband and I, uh, we just kind of stumbled across it one day when we were doing a a weekend walk, but it was really great because what I liked is, again, it's coming from people who, uh, you know, have identified as, you know, neurodiverse or uh, with uh, cognitive or as they say, intellectual and developmental disabilities. It talks about the history of, I guess, more than anything, like the societal lens on how we have viewed um, peoples under this umbrella, specifically talking about like how we used to treat to how we are now slowly starting to understand that these people are very much part of the community and they should be treated as equals in our community. What I liked is that there was a specific little part about Woodlands. So it talked about the history of Woodlands. Uh, There were news articles that you could actually look that were from like the sixties, seventies talking about, I think one of the headlines was like, uh, disabled people get the right to vote and I think that was in like 19 the 1960s if I'm not mistaken oh my goodness. Um, it's a fantastic exhibition uh it had it they had a uh, pecs the uh the I can't That's even true. remember what the pecs stands for I can't <laughs> um I'll, I'll remember it eventually but basically <laughs> the pictures that we should that we may show in order to help with transitions they had this massive wall of those so people could interact and touch them um the ipad that helps children who may be, who may not be speaking but that uses as their voice again i cannot remember what this is called All but good. it's a fantastic yeah. exhibition um i and I, if i'm not mistaken it's by donation so again if you're in the greater vancouver area i highly highly recommend you go check it out because it's it it was great um and i really and I really liked the fact that it was coming from people from that community. And again, it was talking about advocacy, talking about the history of inclusion um, here in BC. So I think that's just a really great thing to go check out. If again, yeah. just having this conversation, I just remembered that that's a good thing that we should all go see if you're, yeah. if you're able to. That's awesome. I'm so jealous that you got to go see it because that'd be so cool. It's fantastic. What I'll do is maybe I'll do, um, I did take some pictures, so maybe I'll put that up on the Instagram page and do that as a separate thing so people can have a look at it. Awesome. Yeah, but yeah, again, go check that out if you're there and listen to this episode and do your (laughs) self-reflection. Yes, exactly. All right, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kelsey. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And I, again, like I said, I hope that in having this conversation, more educators are not just... Creating community of inclusion with children, but also with uh, their fellow educators. Because goodness those that those educators are valid, they are important, then they're necessary in our classrooms. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Thanks for listening in on this week's episode of EC Honestly. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at ECHonestly at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at EC Honestly.